Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss the Illinois-Michigan State game, 75-66 defeat by Michigan State in Champaign tonight. Uh, a game that was, uh, I guess, hard to explain. It was a very weird game. A lot of things that we were looking for Michigan State to do, they accomplished. And then things that we kind of assumed they do, they weren't a- unable to do. A game that Michigan State had pretty firm control of for a large majority of the game. About midway through the first half, through about midway through the second half, Michigan State was up about seven points most of the most of the time, five to seven. Mich- Illinois went on a run, and just Michigan State could not quite respond obviously it's strange that a team that shoots as well as Michigan State is hit no three-pointers even at the end of a couple of maybe desperations but 0 for 7 for 3 even with some good looks early in the game Illinois did a good job I think just running Michigan State off the line also of concern Malik Hall uh, came down funny and looked like he would hurt his left foot and that's the one that he had the stress reaction before so, let, me, let me let me stop you with that one. Okay, I I was unable to rewind it. Were you able to rewind it? I didn't watch, but I just saw he he definitely wasn't putting pressure on his left foot, but I didn't see what actually yeah. happened. Yeah, as I, I I didn't either, and I'm not getting a good a good take from anybody. Nor, well, I I got plenty to say. Go on with go on <laughs> with your about the broadcast about a lot of things, but go ahead. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess you know as far as the broadcast goes. The team seemed a little unfamiliar with both teams, or at least certainly with Michigan State. I mean, AJ, you know, AJ Walker was playing a lot was, in that game, and there were, that I don't mind. That happens, guys. Guys botch names. It's I, I tweeted about this in the first half, um, and, and it continued throughout. Uh, it took until the studio guys getting to halftime for anybody associated with the Fox broadcast to talk about how unusual it was that Michigan State, a team that really relies on jump shooting and on threes, didn't have any of that, but was slaughtering Illinois in the paint. Yeah, right. Now, there's a lot to say about that. There's, is Michigan State playing differently? Are they taking what Illinois is giving them because of the way Illinois is defending? There's a lot to say about that. But you know what we got about? Got about that subject in the broadcast? Nothing. Zero. (laughs) Because Casey Jacobson shouldn't be doing any games as far as I could tell, obviously he was a great player in college at Stanford and had a pro career for a while, but he shouldn't be broadcasting games. That was horrendous. The fact that Malik Hall, a significant player gets hurt and it's not referenced again. Yeah. Right. Not one word is said about it the rest of the way. Uh, 
terrible t- things that people might say picayune, but I'm in a bad mood, so I'm going to go off. <laughs> um, the the insistence on focusing shots on head coaches while the ball was back in play oh, for a good three or four crazy. seconds. Yes. Over and over and over getting late to free throw shooters coming back late from whatever other nonsense they think they're presenting. Normally, I will tell you, normally I actually find Fox affiliated broadcast, be it the big 10 network or Fox, a relief from ESPN's nonsense because ESPN tries to reinvent the wheel every week. And always it's a mortal lock. Any innovation they think they're making is going to make the broadcast worse. Guarantee. (laughs) It's been that way for years and yet they keep doing it. They keep trying, you know, it's that old uh, adage of, you know, you keep uh, pounding your head against the wall, right? Yeah. Um, And you expect a different result. Uh, But normally I rely on Fox to just shoot the game. And generally speaking, I find their, their broadcast teams, even if they're not great to at least be competent. This was total incompetence across the board. They ought to be ashamed of themselves because that's a substandard product, what they rolled out there tonight. Anyway. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think they, and I think they weren't able to focus on the fact that, you know, with Millie call specifically how they were trying, how they were matching up and without him, that Michigan state really had no answers for the size that, that Illinois had in the perimeter. Uh, Correct. And you know, that was a huge difference in the, in that end. We're just unable to sort of come over the hill and, and come back against Illinois. If, if you don't have Malik call out there to put on a red hot Matthew Meyer, you're limited, yeah. right? What MSU was limited to is when, when Aikens wasn't stopping him, you might've noticed they switched Hogarth onto him and that, that did kind of take him away. But then Illinois started getting some buckets from danger and some other people, uh, to keep it rolling. But, um, you're right. That that's a perfect time for an analyst who knows what they're doing to say, you know, Michigan state is really hurting as a result of a hall injury because they don't have a good physical matchup for a long wing. And, and Michigan state, by the way, could have afforded to play Malik on him because during that run, um, Terrence Shannon wasn't on the floor. Right. So you're like, okay, you, you could, you could get away with Malik would have been the guy to cover Meyer and maybe Meyer still hits those shots, but I'd like my chances a hell of a lot better. Yeah. If it's Malik Hall guarding him, but we got nothing about any of that because the broadcast was incompetent. <laughs> they really, I mean, I, I and Casey Jacobson, I, I've, I've seen him. They have him in studio a lot and he's never struck me as particularly insightful. And I've noticed that, but, and I know he's done MSU games before. I guess I just haven't noticed the way I did tonight, just how bad and ill-prepared he was. And the play-by-play guy doesn't save him. So it's, yeah, it's, it was a lot of not good. I mean, it's, it's almost enough to make one long for the days of Tim Doyle on BTN network. Almost. <laughs> Casey has great teeth though, Rod. I mean, that smile, yeah, great. million dollar smile, great. Uh, which you can't yeah, obviously million see. Million dollar smile, 10 cent head. <laughs> uh, not good. Uh, you know, there was some, there was some good in the game. I think, uh, you know, I think AJ Hogard played a very good game. I think Tyson Walker played a good game, but you know, I, I do think it's somewhat by design that Illinois did a good job of running Mich- Michigan State off the three point line. Absolutely. They didn't really give any opportunities out there. They had certainly the size to to challenge you out there, and so you you're forced to, you know, 
do something else. But especially in the first half, Michigan State with a pick and roll was just tearing Illinois to pieces. I mean, they they were just getting uncontested layup after uncontested layup. It was really kind of surprising. Or a really a short mid-range jumper, you know, 10 footers and and um and even had opportunities in the second half with that in some ways too. And then just kind of I'm not sure exactly what the adjustment was. I know Malik got hurt, but even before that, the tide had sort of turned in the game. And uh, and I don't know if it was Illinois' offense or if Michigan State just was able I will to offer No, I will, offer, I will offer a thought on that. It was the story of the game. And again, that's part of why I'm going on this Fox tirade is because this was a game that had a really interesting storyline if you are a basketball fan and if you know anything about these teams. And yet it was other than when they came back to the studio guys, Jim Jackson and company in uh, at halftime, they mentioned it, but during the broadcast itself, nothing here's what happened. I think. And again, I haven't had a chance to rewatch it, but I think a big part of the problem was Michigan state, as you say, was really able to torture Illinois in pick and roll, but, but more specifically, the problem was Illinois guards were unable to provide much in the way of dribble contain. Yeah. Michigan state was blowing by them at will, not just getting to the mid range, but also taking them to the rim, which is something we don't see a lot. I mean, AJ Hogard provides some of that, but we don't see Michigan state put an emphasis on that the way we saw, especially in the first half and they just killed Illinois with it. That's why they let it halftime. It was all down to that. I don't know that I believe it was an adjustment as much as, and it may be that there may have been adjustments again, I'd have to rewatch, but uh, there may have been adjustments in how Illinois was putting their guards in position, how they were guarding it. But I think the biggest difference was it was much tougher in the second half for Michigan state to get advantages through penetration. They were not able to get to those spots as often. doesn't mean they didn't get to them at all, but they weren't getting to them as often. It was, it reminds me of another just incomprehensible thing. Casey Jacobson said in the first half, as Michigan state was torching them, he makes a comment about how, well, Illinois wants, they're fine with Michigan state taking contested twos. No, Casey, the point was the twos weren't contested yeah, right, at all. Exactly. Yeah, they were yeah. Wide open. They're shots you need to take. And Michigan state did in the second half. They were still able to get some of those, but they didn't get as many. Um, you know, I'll, I'll also offer up this. It's not an excuse, but it's an explanation. The fact of the matter is Michigan State got a standard issue assembly hall road whistle. Yeah, no question. Um, uh, just a lot of contact that was called at one end wasn't called at the other. If you're going to be consistent and let both teams play physically, okay, but they weren't. Um, the foul calls in both halves were slanted heavily in the direction of Illinois. And you know, that, that is what happens on the road in the big 10. So I I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it was the reason for the loss. It wasn't at least not the sole reason. Um, but just as by way of explanation, the fact is Michigan state got kind of a bum whistle, which is what you, you expect. Um, so that hurt them as well. I think in the second half, a lot of their activity around the rim didn't get rewarded the way it might have in another situation. Right. Let's put it that yeah. way. No, I think you're correct. Um, 
But, uh, you know, look, I think Brad Underwood, I, you know, I'm not a fan. People I've heard. know that. <laughs> and and uh, our listeners know that. And that doesn't change as a result of tonight. I think is, I didn't like uh, at the end of the game. I can't remember who was taking the three. Might have been Jaden. And Meyer got a cheap block and then gives the cross. It's just a classless program. It's what they are um, under him. And they were, they were a reflection of the coach. But uh, putting all that aside, I can give him credit now that the game is over on what he opted to do strategically. Because the fact of the matter is, if you had told us Michigan State would be 0 for 7 for 3 from the game, I think we would have both said, well, we're not getting a win in that one. Right. And for a lot of that game, it looked like a losing gamble. But in the end, it it paid off. He he did. Absolutely. They played up. They sold out to take away the three and figured that Michigan State would either force contested threes or just miss enough shots otherwise, and that they probably also figured, and it was correctly so in the second half, that even doing that, they could do a good enough job in dribble containment um, to not pay too much of a price for that. Yeah. And and it worked. So, you know, you give, you give him credit where it's due. It was a gamble, um, and Michigan State, for large portions of that game, made it look like a poor one. But in the end, I think you have to say it was certainly one of the big factors. There were others. The fact that Illinois, a terrible free throw shooting team was lights out um, on a night where they, they got to the line a fair amount um, was a big factor as well. I think, uh, you know, their, their, their percentage from three overall was about on par. I think they were 33% for the game. But they hit big ones. You know, there was a, I want to say fairly late, AJ had, I think he had tied it. And Illinois, it seemed yeah. once they got back in the game, Michigan State would make, I mean, Illinois might get the lead out to about five, and Michigan State would make a push. They either get it to one, or on this occasion, I believe they tied it. And Illinois would just deliver a big three. And they weren't even great looks. I can think of one by Meyer and one by Coleman Hawkins is the one I was referring to here. Um, There were deep threes, deep threes. I mean, they're the kind of shots where, you know, you just kind of, you tip your hat because, because as a defense, you don't feel terrible about giving, you know, it's basically a shot that a guy can get pretty much any time he wants because you're not going to ex- extend that that far and so if a guy takes it and hits it you just got to tip your hat and and they to their credit they made some big shots in big big moments down the stretch something that we've seen michigan state be able to do um lately on a on a consistent basis and tonight they did for a while and then that last push they just weren't able to get stuff to fall yeah, I feel like the the big the big problem with Michigan State today tonight, especially in the second half, is that even when they got penetration, they didn't have anyone who could finish inside. Like they didn't have a Sissoko or Cooper or Kohler, whoever, who could get something and, and force Illinois to be a little bit more, uh, you know, honest with their with their coverage. And so you kind of just run into a wall, and you're forced to pull up to a contested two point shot, as you mentioned earlier. And so because there wasn't anyone else who's like cutting to the basket, or who's a threat to get to to score on you. 
And, and and look, give Illinois a lot of credit. We we talked about this. It, it, give them credit in this way. They are a very good block shot team, very good rim protecting team, and they were better than that tonight. I mean, they had ten blocks. Yeah. As a team, Meyer had six of them. Um, and and th- so that you know, look, they did the job. Uh, a lot of a lot of shots that Michigan State would have converted against another opponent were taken away by, by those defenders, by Meyer and by danger in particular. And so, you know, they, they went out and they made those defensive plays again. I think that was part of the reason for the gamble that Underwood took is he figured even if they penetrate, if we're pressing up, we've got those guys back there to, to play goalie. Yeah. You know, um, and they did a lot. I mean, 10 blocks a lot. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was pretty impressive. I mean, the, the thing about Illinois is, and we talked about this statistically, they're a very good defensive team. And we talked about one of the reasons for that. One of the big reasons is their length, yeah. which we saw ample evidence of in this game. You know, and I, I did not think, I, I thought Michigan state in the first half really made them not look particularly good. Yeah. No question. Um, in the second half, it was a little bit of a different story. Yeah, well, you wonder in the second half too if you you sort of got into a, a rhythm where you're just going attacking the basket, a pick and roll, and maybe the second half would have been an opportunity with Illinois. Maybe then they're maybe they're you know not covering the three point line as much because you have to give up something always on defense, and so maybe that would have been more of an opportunity for Michigan State to pass it around. I mean, Michigan State with in, finished the game with four assists on twenty eight a field goal, yeah. which is really unusual because of the way they had to play. But also that's just, you know, and they missed a couple threes that were open a few, but not that many. Well, there weren't that many attempts, but yeah, the, th- the threes that they took were good shots. Um, so I didn't have a complaint with that. They were open. And uh, what that shows you, I, and I didn't think that they passed on a lot of good looks they had some that at certain points there were there were maybe one or two times where I thought uh, Joey in particular, and I have to go back to rewatch it, which I'm not about to do, but um, <laughs> believe me, but uh, there were a couple of occasions I, I vaguely recall where I thought Joey had half a window. I can't really fault him for that. It's not like he passed on wide open looks, but he did. There, there were a couple of occasions where I thought, okay, he could get that shot off. And yeah, guys in the vicinity, but it's half a contest. He didn't pull the trigger. But other than that, I didn't think they were certainly afraid to shoot no. or passing on shots. They just weren't there. Illinois played it that way, you know, and, and that's a, uh, again, I'm not always impressed by Brad Underwood, but um, by any means, but uh, I'll give him that he, he looked at Michigan state the same way that I look at Michigan state in that the threes are a very big deal. And if you play them straight up because of the way they run their stuff and their passing ability as a team, they are going to likely hurt you unless you get really lucky, you know, like the way Michigan did. Right. Um, that's, that's what will happen to you. If you, if you, uh, if you opt to just play them straight up. So they did they didn't play them straight up. And I keep saying the same thing over and over. They gambled and the gamble turned out positively for them. 
So other interesting things, I think, you know, Carson Cooper again plays, well, this is his career high, 13 minutes. He played 12 minutes against Wisconsin. He was three or three from the field with six points, four rebounds, two of them offensive, had a block, played really well. I, um, when he's spelling Mahdi in the first half, Kohler yeah, played just a couple that minutes. That was impressive. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, it's funny because, you know, this is a guy who is going to be redshirted until Marble uh, elected to leave for Texas A&M, and that became pretty clear he was going to be, you know, play well no marble i believe marble left before he committed oh yeah you're right i believe that's you're right i believe yeah, that was originally the, redshirt the and then they i think there was a question whether they were just going to redshirt him anyway yeah right and they were going to redshirt him anyway independent of of whether marble you know or, or, or independent of anything else it was just he was going to redshirt and then he showed up and was good enough right away that they decided uh, no, we can use him this year. And tonight was a game, but he didn't really do anything in the second half. But in the first half, you saw why. You know, Mati Sissoko committed a, a pretty bad second foul. Yeah. An unnecessary one, kind of running through a screen. And the first, it was actually Carson's second stint in the game, but the first possession, I believe it was, after Mati went out of the game, Danger just dusted Cooper yeah. in the post with a spin move and Izzo went right. I saw it as the camera went by Izzo went right at Marty and I'll guarantee you it was some version <laughs> of that's on you. But what's interesting is after that Carson Cooper settled in and I thought played really well. He was active, you know, four rebounds, which might be a season high. I'm not sure the six points is a season high and he showed you different things you know, the first basket was a, a standard issue, traditional Michigan State big man rim run. Yeah, that's all that was. Right. Um, and a great finish. Uh, the second one was an offensive rebound and put back in traffic against a team that's got shot blockers. That was impressive. And then the third one, if I've got the order right, was he did again something that you need to do as a big. He made himself available. So when Malik had a help man come over, he was able to find him for an easy lay-in. Um, all three different ways of scoring, but all three very good signs. He look, he looked like he belonged tonight. Now, obviously, you know, we're not saying he's arrived, but that's a good sign that Michigan State has a card to play like that if he could continue to maintain that improvement and and hopefully get even better and more consistent from here. But He's got tools that that play. Yeah, and he's got size. He is a, right. I mean, that's the he is a too. legit six eleven, and he can move his feet. Those two things allow you to compete. They do, and and the other stuff, you know, getting stronger, being able to finish a little better offensively. Although again, he did a good job with it tonight. Um, you know, high pointing rebounds, all of that stuff, that'll come. But I, I, I love the tools. I think he was, we said it when they got him and we got a chance to, to see some tape on him. And it looked like, wow, how did this guy not have high major offers? Yeah. And I think we're seeing now that, and, and the length, the timeline of when he arrives as a guy that you count on in a major way, who knows? But um, I feel pretty confident that, they got a guy who can help. He's helping now. Well, no question. And it seems like a, a sort of a sudden jump too, right? I mean, he was a guy who has barely seen the floor. And then all of a sudden he comes into Wisconsin, puts logs some really good minutes, 
it, which earns you more good minutes the next game, right? I mean, I think this is. Yeah, but here here's the thing too. It's also um, a situation where, and this happens sometimes, where there's a need, and so a coach is going to try things when there's a need that's not getting addressed. So in the last two games, there was a big concern, I think, for good reason about, well, can Jackson Kohler hang defensively, you know, with these matchups? It was definitely a problem against Wisconsin because we saw it. Yeah. Um, And so he went to Carson Cooper earlier than he normally does for that reason. And Carson delivered, you know, played a reasonably good game, showed some things. So you're right. Then at that point, you get the chance to go again. And we we've seen this before, man. I, I will take people back. The most recent example of it is Xavier Tillman's freshman year on a team that was absolutely loaded and where it looked to me in the preseason, like even though I was a Xavier Tillman fan, I just didn't see a way that he could play. Yeah. They had too many bodies because you had, you had Jaron Jackson, you had Nick Ward, but then you had veterans like Gavin Schilling and Ben Carter. And it, it just looked to, and Kenny Goins too. And it just looked to me like, well, how does Xavier break through that? <laughs> yeah. And by a certain point in the season, there was a, and a lot of it was Nick Ward. Nick Ward lost some minutes to Xavier Tillman because Xavier Tillman could do one big thing that Nick Ward never could, which is defend generally and specifically in pick and roll. And that earned Xavier minutes. And then the next year, Nick was still starting. X was playing a lot off the bench, but Nick gets hurt. X moves into the starting lineup and he never surrenders. Yeah. Because again, he gave his opportunity was there. The coach turns to somebody to answer the call and they do it. Now I'm not saying Carson Cooper is going to be Xavier Tillman, but um, that is what happened. And so the challenge now for Carson Cooper is okay. You were given a shot. You stepped up, you delivered well enough to earn another chance. Keep doing it. Can you keep doing it? So what do you think that leaves Jackson Kohler? Because I think it's an interesting situation. There's, you know, only they're not going to play. Well, I guess they did once, but they're not ordinarily going to play two of those uh, guys at the same time. So, well, that all depends. Tell me, tell me what Malik calls diagnosis is. Right. Right. Good point. And then I'll, and then I'll get back to you because that, that is something that, um, you know, Carson Cooper has played some minutes at the four this year and it's not ideal, but he moves his, it's really not ideal offensively but he moves his feet well enough that defensively he could, he could be a relief pitcher for you, I think, and, and have a shot, (laughs) you know, probably be okay. Um, but I don't know. I look, I, I, we are not done seeing Jackson Kohler and I don't necessarily believe even that Carson Cooper has, you know, permanently replaced him, you know, moved up a spot in the rotation, but, you know, Jackson, look, it's pretty simple. Jackson's got to be able to check. And I saw an interview with him. It was yesterday where he mentioned that he understands his attitude seems to be great Yeah, because he mentioned he's got to get into the scouts better. So he's got to pay attention to what he's being told in terms of how he needs to play in a particular assignment, you know, or against a particular opponent, all that stuff. 
and he's got to be able to translate it to the court consistently. He did not do that against Wisconsin, and that's why he got pulled. So that's what it's going to take, you know, because yep. I think in the other ways, offensively of late, at least he'd started to show some signs He had that big game against Nebraska and that long ago. And I think he's a, he gets for, for whatever reason, there's a segment of the fan base that, that seems to have uh, this notion that Jackson Kohler is like an all time worst rebounder. He's not, no, he's good. He's, he's okay. And I'm, I'm talking about statistically, this is fact. It's not opinion. <laughs> um, he is better than Julius marble. So, you know, if you could play Julius marble, you should be able to play Jackson Kohler from that perspective. At least he also needs to produce offensively the way Julius can to justify it. But, um, you know, there's certain things he does that still play and he's not done. I just, you know, the thing that's exciting is what you want to see next is you want to see Jackson start to shore some of that stuff up because, you know, tonight what we saw was Carson Cooper, who's been pretty good defensively when he's been asked to play, but has struggled a little bit as a rebounder, hasn't given any kind of offensive punch. We saw him do those things tonight. So it's probably on Jackson to take that next step in the areas that are shortcomings for him. Yeah. Well, and the freshmen, I think that's always the thing to remember too, right? And they're going to have the good game, bad game sort of situation. And it's important because, you know, it's a shame. Uh, I thought Matty Sissoko was great against Wisconsin. I thought he struggled tonight. Um, there were, there were several occasions where, I, and he's been really good at pick and roll stuff, but I thought he struggled more than we normally see in, in switches in, you know, straining out the, the ball handler, right? You know, not necessarily a hard hedge, but you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in coming hard and, and not in fact that he got back cut a couple of times because he was so intent on straining out the ball handler that he just lost contact with the big man who just slipped and got easy baskets. That happened a couple of times. And I'm just, it's a downer because we're just not used to seeing that from him. He's been so reliable and so good defensively. And this was kind of a subpar game for him. I thought in that respect. All right. Well, why don't we take a break for just a moment? We'll come back with our keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Five keys to the game. The first key was energy. And could Michigan State match Illinois? We knew Illinois was coming in on a two-game winning streak. They're going to have the student section back. It's going to be a lot of... They didn't have the student section back. That was incorrect. So that was that was just the 
orange t-shirts for everyone. That was their the equivalent of the is own alum. Must be yeah. my friend taking his son back early. <laughs> so, um, but there was a lot of energy in the, the room, obviously. Uh, you know, sure. They're playing with, they're playing for, to come get back in the mix because, you know, you have three losses in the season. Well, you're not out of the Big Ten uh, championship, but you got to string a, together a lot of wins in a row in order to get back and you can't afford to lose anyone at home. And so, uh, but I thought Michigan State did a pretty good job matching that energy. They did. I, th- that was not a problem. You know, MSU lost the game, but uh, getting kind of swallowed up by that crowd and, and the, uh, how hard Illinois was playing was not a problem. I thought, I thought Michigan State handled it very, very well. Even when Illinois went in the runs late, and I guess you could argue that one 18-4 run near the end, in the, late in the second half when they took the lead and, were, and they didn't relinquish it, I still didn't feel like there was any sort of level of panic or you know, play by Michigan State. They didn't look like discombobulated offense or anything. They didn't start turning the ball over a ton. They just didn't make plays. Right. And there were, to give Illinois credit, there were a couple of possessions during that stretch where Illinois really strung out the possession and Michigan state was left with a bad shot. Yep. You know, um, no, but I, I didn't think it was Michigan state folding or looking lethargic or any of that stuff, which can happen to you. Haven't, haven't seen it in Champaign in a while because the games have been pretty competitive. Uh, but there've been a couple of times over the last, you know, six, seven years where I've seen that West Lafayette. Yeah, right. Where they just got even during the Cassius era, where they just came out were flat, 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 and um, that was not the case tonight. It looked like it might be that way to the very beginning of the game, but then uh, Michigan State seemed to respond and just kind of maintain contact until they eventually pulled ahead. Well, the the big problem early was that they, I mean, Terrence Shannon just went on a heater. Well, yeah, and then and then he got swallowed up. I mean that that game in a nutshell is Illinois. Now it worked out for them, but you know, in the first half, Matthew Meyer commits a couple dumb fouls and he doesn't really do a hell of a lot. Terrence Shannon, the first nine minutes, he looks like an all American. You can't stop him. And then it kind of flipped the rest of the way. I mean, Terrence Shannon, I think got a couple, let me look at this. I got free throws. And that was it. I think at the end of the game, he got a couple free throws and that was it. Right. Yeah. So that was right. So that, and he ended the game five for 13 from the floor, one for five from three. This has been the problem. The problem is that they have not been able to find any consistency. You know, with Michigan State, what's made them an interesting team, and I think a team that people have some optimism around, is there's been a level of consistency in several guys. You pretty much know what you're going to get from A.J. Hogarth. You pretty much know what you're going to get from Tyson Walker. You pretty much know what you're going to get from Joey Hauser. You know, that's three guys that you feel like you're dialed in and they can have an individual game where they're even better, but rarely are they a lot worse than the baseline, right? Yeah. Illinois, it's, it's just a strange thing and may, and not surprising. I think when I keep saying it, you have all these guys that are new to your program. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's tough to get that kind of consistency. Whereas MSU, they all know each other. They know how they play. They're very familiar you get generally a consistent level of production. The number two key to the game was defensive rebounding. And this is the one that really surprised me that, you know, the concern was uh, Illinois is a great offensive rebounding team. They got those ones, the killers at the very end of the game that just iced it, but they only finished with eight offensive rebounds out of 33 misses. So that's less than 25%. 
so Michigan State's defensive rebounding, which we had hoped would hold up, but surprisingly, even beyond Michigan State out rebounding Illinois forty-two to thirty-three or forty-two to thirty, is that Michigan State ended up with fifteen offensive rebounds. I mean, they met, they got not half, but I mean, they were like what over forty percent, I think, for fifteen out of uh, thirty-seven misses. So pr- it was amazing. crazy. <laughs> we have not a- and. I don't know what to make of it. Look, we'll start with the thing that you expect and you rely on. Michigan State, I thought, for most of that game, now there were, you mentioned there was an inopportune one or two late that hurt them. But over the course of 40 minutes, that was an outstanding job as a defensive rebounding group. Because you see, I mean, Illinois, we know it's a big part of what they want to do. And you see all that length. You see those big bodies. They're tough to keep off the glass, and MSU was really good there. That part, I think you just check mark. That's what you hope to see, and it's something MSU does well, and they did it well again. The offensive end, I don't know where that came from for MSU. I'd love to keep seeing it, but that was impressive. That was really, really impressive, and I guess I haven't looked to see it was well, Joey Hauser was a big part of that. Joey Hauser had four offensive rebounds. Mahdi had two. Carson Cooper had two. And then uh, uh, team, three team rebounds and a bunch of guys with one. But um, that was an impressive effort from MSU in that respect. Do you think a lot of it is a reflection of the, the way that Michigan State was forced to play? That Usually Michigan State's an yeah, outside a jump point. shooting team, and now they're sort of – they were crashing in and – so you've got three guys basically right around the basket when you put up your shot. And so, you know, you're, chan- you're, gonna, you're <laughs> sort of forced to get the offensive rebound or at least have an opportunity at it since you're shooting so close. It's a good point. Well, there's that, but there's also um, the added bonus of that much penetration is you're generally going to force help defenders right. to come yeah, over. Exactly. And Michigan State was beating, you know, beating the on-ball defender a lot. Um, and so when that happens and help has got to come over, you're going to create more opportunities for second chances. Um, again, I figure Underwood probably figured that his team is not a great defensive rebounding team. They're much better on the offensive end, but he probably figured that was a gamble worth taking And Michigan state. And I, I'm not sure what the, let me see if we've got a, yeah, I mean, Michigan state had 16 second chance points. They doubled up Illinois there. That is not part of the gamble that worked out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not, I'm sure that's not the way Brad Underwood envisioned it happening. So yeah, probably more a, um, a, 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 an instance of circumstances as much as anything else to explain why MSU offensive rebounded so well, but look, um, it was interesting. We'll see as they go into these you know, next few games. Is it something they could sustain in any way? Yeah. I think we can probably safely say at this point they are a good defensive rebounding team, which is uh, oh yeah a huge yeah yeah. Uh, I think we knew that, but you're still not entirely sure because the last two teams you played don't really try on the offensive boards, and now you have a team that yep. lives there and they weren't able, unable to really get anything going for the most part. Yep. Now look, the the next couple games on the docket, they're going to continue to get tested. Right. But yeah, I I think that. Um, I think that doing the job they did against a team that that can do it like Illinois, that's a good sign. Obviously, the concern there is if you've got no Malik Hall, that's going to change that ni- dynamic as well. But we'll have to wait and see, find out what happens there. I mean, I'm just I, I, just going back to that. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me because normally if it's if it's really bad, 
the guys in the locker room, right. Or he's got the shoe off or, you know, there's something, and there was none of that. So was uh, there, I, the I didn't side, see anything. I didn't know if they weren't really showing it or talking about it also. I don't know what was going on. We don't know what the injury was, but I'm talking about observing him on the bench. Okay. He was on the bench the whole time. That much I can tell you. Um, no thanks to Fox, but I can tell you that. <laughs> um, he got up and was walking around in every huddle. I can tell you that. At least the huddles I could see. Um, he was in the handshake line at the end of the game. So those things would suggest to you that, okay, you know, hopefully this is not, you know, an, oh God, we're right back where we were in, you know, mid November with him. Um, but we don't know. It's, it's a strange thing. I mean, to have this, and I understand that the deal, uh, was it against Michigan or against Wisconsin? It was against Michigan that he hurt the ankle, yeah, right? Where he twisted the ankle, you know? Yeah. I understand that's not the same injury, but you know, then, then we had that, was it maybe the Buffalo game or the Nebraska game where it looked like he kind of tweaked it again, yep. not the ankle. I mean the foot yeah. and he was on the bench and he had the roller with him and was just, but didn't come back in and they said it was precautionary and he'd been fine. So you're hoping that it's the same deal here. And, and I'm kind of inclined to believe that's entirely possible given how they handled it, but you just don't know if, if they lose him, look, that's the biggest story out of this game, much more than the result. I was just looking at, uh, Kyle Austin, uh, from, I think M live was reporting that, uh, he watched the tape back, said Lee Hall turned that ankle left ankle going up for a shot with 745 left, didn't return. Okay. Uh, and then Izzo didn't have an update on Malik Hall, but he left the locker room without a boot on. So it sounds like maybe it's that same sort of ankle. Okay. So I would actually feel, I would actually feel a little better about that. That makes me feel better. If it was the ankle. Cause I honestly just, I didn't see it. And again, Fox, Fox's broadcast. I mean, that's just abysmal. We, we saw the sincere Harris thing. We got a replay of that. Oh yeah. But they couldn't they couldn't manage to do it. And they had a timeout. They were coming out of a timeout. They could have shown it just a terrible broadcast. But anyway, um, it, that's a big thing, obviously. And that really uh, that bit outweighs the results of this game. You're disappointed to lose this one. But in the greater scheme of things, losing a game at Champaign. It in the end of the world. No, it's not. It's it's one you had a chance, opportunity to steal, and obviously you you always want those if you can get them. But you know it didn't work. I, out. It would have been. Look, I will admit to letting my mind wander as MSU was in control and thinking, man, if they just finish a week where they go to Cole and Assembly Hall and they win them both, <laughs> yeah, not a lot of years you do that. No, no, back to back. And no. and they just couldn't. Yeah, they just couldn't hold on. But, you know, if you going into this week, I think if you'd said to any MSU fans and probably even Tom Izzo in a candid moment, would you take a split? You'd say yes. Yeah, right. All right. So number three, key to the game. This is another aspect of just the weirdness of this game. Michigan State finished with nine turnovers. Not terrible. But Illinois has only has only five. It's uh, it, they and I think they were all in the first half. I don't I don't even remember them having one they in the were. second half. They were. Um, try to explain that because here's the thing. Illinois is actually a team that do, is pretty good at create, not elite, but pretty good at forcing turnovers. 
And so they're, they're a defense that actively, and you can kind of see it at different stretches of this game with their length. Again, they get in passing lanes. Um, they stay active. They can make it tough um, for, uh, for you to get clean passing lanes available. They can generate a lot of turnovers. For Michigan State against that team to only have nine turnovers, that's a return to form. Now, some of them, unfortunately, people are going to remember, you know, the A.J. Hogard has Tyson Walker in the corner, oh, throws yeah. it into the 25th row. You know, there were a couple of those. And then a couple of others who were just bad decisions. Body Sissoko early in the game got himself into uh, into trouble by taking one step too far, then trying to bail himself out by compounding the mistake. Right. Yeah. And it led to a it led to a uh, I think it was Shannon. He got, Terrence Shannon yeah, got him going transition early. bucket. But you know, I'm looking at this. Um, yeah, it's the Illinois had eight points off turnovers, so. And, and six fast break points, Michigan state credited with only two. Um, but, uh, you know, Michigan state, I don't have complaints. I, again, I know people are going to focus like on the whole guard turnover, but I don't have complaints about Michigan state in that regard. The weird thing is a team in Illinois that self-destructs with regularity in that way. They did two things that they absolutely never do. They didn't turn the ball over. I mean, five turnovers is a great night for Wisconsin. Yeah, right. Um, they So they did that, and they shot free throws extremely well. Yeah. 15 of 18. That, that's, it, again, I look at that. It is such a weird game. Things that you just, Michigan State not hitting a three. Illinois not turning the ball over. Michigan State doing work on the offensive glass. Illinois hitting free throws. It's just sometimes that's just what happens. Yeah. Well, you know? Absolutely. Right. And that's why the upsets happen in the NCAA tournament. I mean, things people play their games that they don't normally play. Uh, number four key to the game size. And without a doubt, size affected Michigan State. You could say at, at a minimum, probably on the three point line. Uh, and then definitely in the second half, I think, you know, driving the lane and just and being bothered by danger. And then Myers was Myers was good. He just would he'd come out, flash out and, you know, maybe you could argue a lot. He had a lot of body contact, a lot of those blocks, but he got a number of them pretty cleanly too. Yeah. I think Illinois size helped them for sure. Um, it, uh, it allowed them, you know, again, 10 block shots is 10 block shots. That's real rim protection. Uh, I think you're also right that I think their size, um, especially on the wing really helped in terms of, uh, shutting Michigan state down from three, just not giving up clean looks. So it was, it was a problem and, and he kind of knew it was going to be the, the question was, were there, were there ways for Michigan state to counter it? And for a lot of the game there were, which was, okay, we're going to go buy you and we're going to take what you give us. And, and I do love the fact that even though Illinois was, this is one encouraging thing, even though Illinois was racking up all those shot blocks. Michigan state kept going to the rim. Yeah. That's what you have to do. You, you have to have an attacking mindset consistently and not get dissuaded because a guy blocks a shot or two, you know, now 10 is more than two, but you get my point. The, the drag is that of course, in that building, you're not going to get the benefit of all the contact calls that you should right. um, in an objective situation. And so, you know, they also, they also didn't get the benefit on, on that level 
of what they were doing of their activity, but um, it was still, it was the right thing to do. I mean, it, it worked until it didn't in terms of countering their size, right? Well, and how many times have you seen it where you have a shot blocker blocks two or three shots early in the game, and then it seems like the team's hesitant to ever go inside again. And, yep. and that's never, what I mean. You never saw that with the team today. They, you, like, to your point, they just kept going in and, and attacking the whole time. Number five is guard play. And I don't think there's any question. Michigan State's guards were way better than Illinois' oh, yeah. guards. I mean, I guess... Shannon was was lights out offensively for the first half or first half of the first half. He was, you know, couldn't miss, but then he couldn't hit. So I don't, you know, and and the way Hogard and I and I think Walker a number of times, he sort of would set the screen. It didn't work. He'd go back, set the screen and reset it some a couple times sometimes. And so that was encouraging to see that some patience with the pick and roll. It was a weird game for Tyson because it felt to me like he was playing pretty well, but he only shot six for 15. Um, he missed a bunch late, yeah, which is not happened. a disaster, but it's not, it felt like he was better than that. Um, and he only took one three. So it wasn't like he was, you know, heaving threes at the end and missing to pad that. Um, I guess if you're Illinois, you look at that and say, how oh, we could take, we take that. But, and Jaden Aikens three for 11 from the floor. That was not what you're hoping for from Michigan state. AJ Hogard eight for 16. That is what you're hoping for. Um, but yeah, I thought, look, I think, I think that you, you clearly take Michigan state's guards in this one. I mean, they were Illinois guards did next to nothing outside of, of Shannon. Shannon is 17. Harris had nothing before he got hurt. I guess, you know, Epps scored seven. So they're probably pretty happy with that. Cause, and Melendez had three off the bench. Um, but, uh, but Michigan state got, got more done. You know, Trey Holloman got two off the bench. Then you look at the main guys, Aikens with six, Walker with 14, Hogard with 20. It was a better backcourt. For a lot of that game, it was a decisive advantage. I mean, I really yeah. felt like Michigan State, while they had that lead, um, were just toying with Illinois through a lot of it. I mean, they really were. And and then, um, you know, then in the end, Illinois got enough stops and and got a little better at containing the dribble on the perimeter. And, uh, and that made the difference combined with the way they were able to get their offense going. So Michigan state falls to four and two and a game behind Purdue at the big 10 Illinois come, uh, will end up at three and three and their hopes of challenging for the conference are still alive. I suppose Michigan state's next met matchup will begin a Monday against Purdue. The, yeah. The, the big thing for Illinois first is it it kind of and I'll give them this much it kind of rubber stamps this recent improvement um now I think you know losing Harris that didn't look good I I don't know if that's a long-term thing and it's funny because I I watched a podcast today an Illinois podcast I watched a little bit of it until I had to shut it off because there was so much uh, I'd say stupidity, but it just wasn't a lot of sharp thinking. And this is part of what I'm uh, the reason why I say that they were talking about how well, Illinois is just still, even with sky Clark on just, you know, the deepest team in the big 10. I said, what planet are you on? Yeah. They're not deep, not anymore. They, they thought they would be deep because they had inflated expectations around a lot of these guys like Melendez is, a, is an example. Does having RJ Melendez mean you've got depth? I don't think so. Not based on what I've seen. Um, 
you know, they're, they're two freshman guards now, you know, are they going to start apps? I guess they're going to have to, um, if Harris is out for a while, um, you lose that Ty Rogers, who I like, we talked about him a lot. He didn't do anything in this game. I didn't even notice him, honestly, you know, and he's been playing better, but he didn't do anything. So where's the depth? Um, but I, I will say this. Um, it may not matter as much because I think what's important is if they can find consistency in their, in the play they get from their guys that really matter. And to me, that's, you know, that's their big four, which is really danger, Shannon Meyer and, uh, Hawkins. Now Hawkins was not great in this game until the end. And then he made a lot of big plays. He made some good defensive plays. He had one sequence where he guarded Joey Hauser brilliantly and actually got a shot block at the end of it. Um, he had that big three Then he had an offensive putback on the glass. Yep. So he was invisible for a lot of it, but he, he stepped up when they really needed him in the end. You know, we talked about Shannon, a big burst in the beginning, and then he disappeared. Meyer, kind of invisible. The first half, great in the second half. Danger, I thought, was the real story of this game in terms of from start to finish providing an impact. You know, he never really went away. And and that's a kid who's got a lot of talent. Now, I still think he's got issues. I, I'm, a, I'm a brainwashed Michigan State fan in the sense that I'm not a fan of defensively of big men that can't play um, hedging or hard hedging defense and pick and roll. And I still see that as an issue. Now, maybe it will not be an issue if he get in better shape, because my observation is that's a guy that can still use some conditioning work. Uh-huh. Uh, just looking at him. Um, but look, he's a player. He's a talented kid. There's, there was no doubt about that. And I thought, you know, they probably feel like Meyer is the guy who won it for them, and I get it, but I actually think Danger was their best player tonight. And so if, if they can get all four of those guys dialed in at some level of consistency, then they've got a chance if they can get anything from their young guards. And that's the caveat, you know, but they have to feel like this is a rubber stamp on this two-game winning streak, which is now three. Um, I think it's less about the a big 10 about big 10 title contention and more about just, can you be a legitimate team by March? Right. Cause they haven't been a legitimate team when they've been much better in the regular season. They haven't in the last couple of years, they haven't been a legitimate team in March. Right. Yeah. So can you do that? That to me should be the goal of Illinois. And truthfully, it's the goal of Michigan state too, every year. You know, we talk about Big Ten titles, and I certainly want them to contend. But the bigger thing is be at your best when the tournament rolls around. And it's still the case here for Michigan State. It doesn't get any easier. You know, come back. You just mentioned it. You come back Monday. And the good news is you get a shot at the team that's in front of you in the Big Ten race, and you can tie them for the lead again if you can win it. The bad news is you're playing the team that leads the Big Ten race. <laughs> yeah, right. But but you're playing them in East Lansing, and maybe people will disagree with this. This may be a better Purdue team. It's, it's hard to know for sure, but there are reasons why you could say that. 
this year than last. It's clearly not a more talented Purdue team. There's a big difference there. And Michigan State beat that Purdue team at Breslin. Now, you know, we'll have a chance to talk about all the particulars of the matchup. It's it's a big one, and it's always an interesting game in terms of the way Michigan State opts to play a Purdue team with the giant center. Uh, but I look, I think that's a game that if you're Michigan State, man, you get especially if Malik is okay, um, you get right back at it and you got no reason to fear this Purdue team. You go at them. It'll be a hard game. Uh, don't make no mistake, but you have no reason to fear them. This isn't, this isn't some juggernaut, not my opinion. We'll come back uh, soon with a preview for that game. I want to um, also mention, you know, so it's funny. I got four t-shirts of our uh, shirts and uh, every single one who put it on my wife, then my daughter, and then my son, the first thing they said is, wow, this is a really nice shirt. <laughs> And you know, and they they actually had teased me a little bit because they said, "Oh, you know, Rod kept going on and on about how it's such a nice garment," and then turns out it really was. So it, it was. I hope everyone else enjoys theirs. I know we had some shipping issues, it but matters. You'll, get them, you'll get them soon. I agree. It's a really great product. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that it's getting good reviews. You know, it's a little more expensive, but honestly, um, and some people, you know, people look at fashion, so people's views are very individual. I, I know somebody, I have a friend of mine who actually is, um, works in the real hot couture fashion world. And you'd think that person would be inclined to want the higher. No, she, she prefers the boxy cheapest <laughs> Gildan t-shirts. It makes those, I was shocked, but, but, um, in any event, yeah, these are these are nice shirts. Where, you know, we we actually we'll probably be talking about it next week. But um, uh, you know, we we may have um, some different approaches to how we're going to sell them. But uh, in the in the future, but uh, what won't change, I think, is that we'll we'll continue um, with this kind of product quality because I think most people react to the fact that they're, they're soft, they're ring spun. So there's a, there's a different feel to them than cheaper shirts. And I, I have to say, I think they look great. Yeah. I was very happy with the way it all turned out. So hopefully all the people that ordered them, uh, really enjoy it and are, are happy to wear them. And, uh, yeah. So you'll be getting them soon. Take your, take your picture with them, send them to us. We appreciate it. We'll like, I'd love to post them in on our social media, which We've crossed a thousand followers on Twitter. Thank you so much for everybody who followed us. I think we had like 25 people within a day or so sign up. So keep signing up, keep sharing, uh, keep sharing the show. Uh, Also, uh, you know, I know we had a number of new subscribers on YouTube as well. So if you like to get your content that way, that's another great way to do it. Well, we'll be back with Purdue and hopefully we'll get back on the winning ways. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.